0: It is November, we are officially past Halloween, and uh, what, what, what does that mean happens in all the stores? You guys been in any stores lately? Yeah. Christmas stuff, right? We skip right over Thanksgiving in most stores and go straight to Christmas. Yes, we are getting close to Christmas time. Now how many of you guys, see, see if you guys are like me, and I think you are in this, in this aspect, when you get a card, a Christmas card in the mail, and you open it, what is your main question? Is there money, right? You, you barely read the card, look for the check or the or the, the greenback, right? Yeah, okay. So, and and I'm the same way. I'll admit, like cards are just money holders for the most part. Um, that's true. Some Christmas cards have good pictures, but but still, most of you guys answered money, which was good because that's kind of where I was going with this, So I'm glad you guys were with me on that. So. Because that is the case, we are getting to a time where money and uh, materials become very important in our culture and our society. We are starting a new series tonight called What's in Your Wallet, okay? We're gonna end for some of you. The answer is nothing, um, but that's okay. We're gonna spend the next several weeks talking about money and some biblical principles about money. But before we do that, tonight is kind of an intro. It's kind of a prequel to that. Okay, we're not gonna get into a lot of specifics about money tonight, but we are gonna get into some an ov- a big overall principle. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Second Samuel chapter eleven. I do have the U version notes tonight, so if you want to pull those up, you can do that. Go to live and. And live events and search for you'll see Chosen Generation Youth. On the left-hand side, you'll see the word in the menu, live or live events or something like that is an option. Then go to search in the U-Version Bible in the U-Version Bible app. The left-hand menu, yes, sir. Capital One, right with the Vikings and yeah, yes. Yeah, so what's in your wallet is the Capital One slogan. Um, okay, so if you did you find it, midget. Amanda can show you how. Amanda's done it. You've you've looked up the U version, right? Okay, she's going to help you find it. So we are in 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to go find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab. Remember, Joab's the commander of the army. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. So he's a good friend. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. So this is kind of a strange story. If you've been in church, you may have heard it several times. But, but we've got this crazy story about David. And David is the king. He's generally regarded as a good king. Uh, the Bible later calls him a man after God's own heart. But in this story, we see the worst of David's life. Like, this is the worst thing David has ever done. And it's really not even close. Okay? Because David steals a woman's wife. A man's wife. That's what I meant. You know what I meant. Thank you. Steals a man's wife has sex with her knocks her up and then kills the husband to cover it up like this is a bad this is a bad day okay this is a rough rough several days but here's the thing I have my doubts I don't think that when David woke up that morning he said I know I'm gonna knock up another dude's wife and kill him to cover it up like that was not a part of his thought process that day I'm mostly sure of it, I think we can probably be fairly confident of that, that that was not David's idea in that day when he woke up, and yet that ended up happening. So we're going to look at kind of the steps to this, how this happened, and how he ended up in this situation. Now, it starts in verse 1, okay? Verse 1, it says, all the other kings went off to war, but David did what? He stayed in Jerusalem. Very good. Okay. All the other kings went on. It said in the spring when the kings go off to war. That's what all the kings do in the spring. They go fight. It's the springtime. He's a king. So he should be off fighting with his men. But instead of going and fighting with his men, he sent them out and stayed home. Okay. So already this is a decision that goes against what he probably should have done. Okay. So kind of mark that, mark, mark that in your head. Then he went and walked on the roof. Seems like not that big a deal. Some, you know, like to go out for a walk. He's the king, so, you know, he can kind of walk wherever he wants, but he might not want to walk out in the people because they, you know, mob after him and they'd all want to talk to him, and he couldn't have any peace. Okay, walked on the roof. But here's the thing. In that time, in in biblical times, it was not uncommon for people to bathe on the roof. Like, that was kind of the normal just because of the way the logistics worked out. That's where people bathed was in a tub on the roof. And so... He knew this. Of course, he's in the palace. It's up on the hill. It's probably high. So he can probably kind of see the whole city from there, and he knows that. And he knows if I go out in the evening and I walk on the roof, there's going to be people bathing. Like, he, he had to be aware of this just because of the way the, the culture worked out. It's just like this. If you go and you walk out into Grant Avenue out here, you know there's going to be cars coming probably, right? Now, you may not. You may say, well, there's not always cars coming. Well, that's true, but chances are there's going to be cars coming on Grant if you walk out of there, if you walk out into Grant. Okay, so David probably knew there were gonna be people bathing. In fact, there's even a chance he had seen this lady bathing before. We don't know that, but there's half a decent chance he had already seen Bathsheba had his eye on her. Okay? So then his next decision is to send somebody to find out about her. So now not only is he looking at something and, and put himself in a place where he shouldn't be, now he's acting on it. Okay, some of you guys have been in a place like this where you have this thought, right? You have this thought of something you know you shouldn't do, right? Anybody ever had a thought of something you know you shouldn't do? All hands need to be up because we've all done stuff we shouldn't do. Okay, so, but you know, there's kind of that line between, okay, I know I shouldn't do that, but then taking that step to act on it. And see, at this point, David is guilty of lust. He's guilty of being kind of a creeper um, because he's checking out this woman from, you know, the palace. He's creeping on her a little bit. But at this point, he hasn't really acted on it. Okay, then he makes that decision. You know what? I'm going to send one of my servants to find out who she is. Okay, that's a, that's a step. That's a decision he's making here. All right, he sends someone to find out with her. Now it escalates very quickly from there. That's kind of the big catalyst. Okay, at this point it starts to escalate because now all of a sudden she's in his bedroom and they're fooling around and they're doing stuff they shouldn't be doing because they're not married to one another. And then the next thing you know, she's pregnant. Right, that did escalate quickly right right so i i'm just imagining him i'm just imagining david he's chilling at the palace he's had this great night with this pretty woman and a few days later he's like yeah you know he's just sitting at the palace and there's a knock on the door and he's like servant go answer the door or whatever and they come back and they're like Ah, uh, it's a messenger for bathsheba and he's like well that can't be good or maybe he's thinking hey she came back for seconds See, i don't know but But either way, this messenger comes in, right, and the messenger comes in, and he's like, all right, king, make sure you're sitting down because i got bad news for you. And, you know, so he's got this crazy situation where now he's got her pregnant. So he tries to cover it up. Bring her husband home. He'll sleep with her, and then everybody will just assume it's his kid, right? They didn't have Maury Povich to do paternity tests back in the day. So that wasn't really an issue. I know I'll bring her husband home. He'll sleep with her, and everybody will just assume it's his kid. This works out well. Okay, so he brings the guy home, but Uriah, has got, he's got more character than David does at this point. He's, he's got better moral fiber because he's like, man, all my buddies are out fighting. They're sleeping in tents on the hard ground. The Ark of the Covenant is chilling out in the field. How can I go home and sleep with my wife and be comfortable when all of my comrades are out suffering through war? He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. So he doesn't do it. He says, no, he sleeps, on the, you know, he sleeps with, the, uh, with the king's servants. Okay? The next day, David says, all right, that didn't work. I know. I'll get him drunk. This is a good plan. Gets him drunk. Still nothing. Uriah, even drunk, has more character than David does at this point. Okay? That's pretty pretty stark contrast when you figure, you know, when the drunk dude is making better choices than you are, there are issues. Right? And that's what's happening right here. Uriah is drunk, but he's still making better decisions than King David is. So King David writes a letter. says, all right, stick this guy out front. Let him get killed. And that's exactly what happens. Joab, the king of the the army, he doesn't know what the deal is. He just does what the king tells him. So, so he puts uh, puts eye out front. eye gets killed. Okay, we know that at this point David says, "Okay, now I'll just marry her, and everybody will assume it'll be good." David does marry Bathsheba, um, but the, the, that baby eventually does die. Okay, that baby dies as a, as a consequence for what David did. Now, again, like I said a few minutes ago, I doubt that when this spring started, when David sent his army off to war, his thought was, before this war ends, I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to end up an adulterer and a murderer and a liar. But that's exactly what happened. And it happened because of small choices. Okay? It wasn't one big act. It happened because of small choices. Okay, and there were obviously consequences to that choices. So we're going to talk tonight about decisions and about choices and about what kind of choices that we make. All right, we've got right, I've got four points here about choices. You guys have heard me say many times that uh, every teacher has favorites, right? I've said that a bunch of times. And I've also said that if you get to choose whether or not you're a favorite, you know, some of you new guys haven't heard this before, but some of you have heard this a bunch of times. Okay, all you have to do to be the favorite is listen the first time they say something, okay? If you listen the first time and you act appropriately, your teachers will love you, I promise. Take it from me, your parents, your teachers, your coaches, your pastors, every adult, every authority figure that you have in your life hates having to repeat themselves, okay? We all hate that, and you do too. If you're talking to your friend, and then two minutes later they go, wait, what did you say? I wasn't paying attention. Right? That drives you crazy, right? You're like, well, why didn't I, why weren't you listening the first time? Okay? So you want your teachers and your authority figures to like you, listen the first time. Okay? Which is why, for me and my position, my relationship with all of you guys, one of the things that drives me crazy is when I watch you guys make wrong choices. Okay? I watch you guys, and especially when they're obvious ones. But here's the thing. It's not... The big ones, I mean, yes, it's the big ones, I should say, but what drives me the craziest is the little ones because really life is all about the little choices, okay? That's the first big point. Life is about little choices. You see, David, again, he didn't wake up and say, I'm going to kill this dude and sleep with his wife. He said, you know what? I'm not going to go with the army this spring. Not that big a deal. He said, I'm going to go for a walk. Even though, again, he kind of knew what, uh, what might result from that. He knew what he would probably see if he went for that walk on the roof. And so for me as a, as a leader and as you guys as youth pastor, I see you guys make these little choices and they seem not that big a deal. It's so easy to go, you know, it's so easy just to, to for example, say you find a $5 bill on the ground. doesn't seem like much. It's a little choice. No one's going to notice it. But it could be. That could be somebody's lunch. You might have just made somebody hungry for the day. And I know how y'all get when you're hungry. All right, y'all get angry, and you're not fun to be around, like for real. (laughs) And so that seems like a little choice. This little $5 bill, say that's not that big a deal, but it might be a big deal to somebody else. You don't know. Little things like you're taking a test, and, you know, you're not supposed to look at each other's paper, but you can see that paper over there. And so you glance over, and again, it doesn't seem like that big a thing. Yeah, there's always that fun. If you cheat, cheat off the wrong kid, you're all out of luck. But uh... Okay, so life is about little choices. Life is about the small things. You see, you guys know I've t- I've said you I've told you guys a million times I love you guys. I'm passionate about you. All right, I am here, and Pastor Todd is here, and our our staff and, and all the adults in your life are here to help you. To have a good life. It is our goal for you to have a great relationship with Jesus and to have great relationships with people around you and to do well in school and to have successful lives and successful jobs and all that stuff. And everything that I do and everything that your leaders do has that end game. That is our main goal is to to help you be successful in life and in your relationships and in your walk with Jesus. And it drives me personally crazy to watch you guys make the wrong choices when you know better. Okay. I'll give you one more example. We're coming up on this winter retreat, okay, it's going to be like a small version of camp. And you guys know what happens when we go to camp, right? We go to camp, we get nasty and filthy and dirty, we shower before service, and then we go sweat through service, because that did a lot of good, right? That's right, it shouldn't be hot this time. (laughs) We don't even have to shower this time, no. We'll just jump in the pool like all the middle school boys think counts as a shower anyways. No, Um, they do think that, don't they? They all think that. No, I know. The jun- Most junior high guys at camp think the pool and axe counts as a shower. But, that's, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Okay, so stick with me because, no, not our dorm, but that's right. Anyways, anyway, stick with me here. So what happens in the services, though? We all go to the altar. We all get slain in the spirit. We get filled with the spirit. Girls, you cry and your mascara runs till you look like some kind of freaky clown. Right? Y'all know. You know what I'm talking about. I was going to say, so I know Canada forgot the waterproof mascara that first night, and uh, right, and we get down in the altar and we say, we say, God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to make all the right choices. I'm going to do the thing, you know, and then and it's easy to do that there because the phone's locked in the van and you don't have you know your computer and you can't check Twitter and there's no TV and all that kind of stuff. But then as soon as we get back here. It fades away, right? And I, and I tell you guys, we've talked about this before, but it doesn't happen because you make a decision. You know what? I'm not reading my Bible for a month. How many of you guys have ever thought that? You know what? Screw it. I'm not reading my Bible for a whole month. None of y'all have ever thought that. I promise you that. But you have thought, I'll do it later. I'll do it tonight before I go to bed. And then you get to where it's about time to go to bed and you're like, man, I'm too tired to read. I'll do it in the morning. And then a month goes by and you haven't read your Bible. See, it comes down to those little choices. Even though you know the right choices, sometimes it's hard to make those. In Luke 16.10, Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. But whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. Life is about little choices. But at the same time, some of you guys are coming up to where you got to make some big choices in life. Okay? Because life is also about big choices. Some of you are getting ready to decide on colleges and jobs, okay? But all of you, even if you're not ready for that yet, all of you have one big choice to make every day, okay? And that's your friends. All of you guys get to choose your own friends. And I got to be honest with you, some of the fools you all hang out with drive me crazy. All right, I've met some of you all friends. Not all of you. Some of you have really good friends, and that's cool, you know. But some of y'all got dumb friends, and you know who I'm talking If somebody popped into mind just now, you-, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Some of y'all already are like, oh, yeah, I know. Taylor. <laughs> Taylor. <laughs> Even Taylor thinks Taylor. No. Because y'all pick these people to hang out with sometimes who have no faith. They got no moral compass. They don't have any common sense. Come on. Y'all know. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I do tell you to make non-Christian friends. You're right. I tell you that all the time. Okay, and Jesus did that. We know Jesus hung out with the sinners. Jesus is always having lunch at the tax collector's house, and, you know, he's chilling with the prostitutes, and all the worst people in society is who Jesus hung out with. He's healing the lepers and all this kind of stuff. But the difference is between what Jesus hanging out with non-Christians and y'all hanging out with non-Christians and me hanging out with non-Christians, and this is the big thing is that Jesus was influencing them, not allowing them to influence him. See, some of you guys, all your friends are non-Christian. you got no Christian friends at school. You have no Christian friends at school. You haven't made any effort to find any Christian friends at school. These right here are your only Christian friends. Some of you guys, that's the case. And so you're allowing all these non-Christians that you hang out with to influence you. And yeah, when you're here, you're the church kid. You know, the, you know, you know how to play the game. You know how to put on the face and all that stuff. But the second you get to school, there's a switch. And so that's what I'm talking about. That's a big decision that you guys all get to make every day. And I want you to make sure if you're friends with non-Christians, you're pulling them towards Jesus and they're not pulling you away from Jesus. Because that's the big decision is to make the decision, you know what, am I going to stand up for what I know is right when I'm with these people? Okay, I know what it's like to have friends who party. I know what it's like to have friends who are doing stupid crap. Man, when I was in college, the whole marching band was full of alcoholics. Okay? I was one of like five people out of 400 that did not drink. That may be a slight exaggeration, but it's pretty close. Okay, there were not a lot of non-partiers in the, in Marching Chiefs. Just being honest. All right, and so it would have been very easy for me to show up to those parties and just fit in. I could have done that. But you know what? And this is not to brag on me because I did. I had my share of screw-ups, and I've been pretty honest with those, w- with you guys about those. But, but man, in that situation. I made sure to be the right example. And you guys have those opportunities even now. You guys know. You guys got friends that drink and stuff. And I want, to, I want to make sure that you guys are being the right example. Because here's the third point. Here's point number three. Your choices affect those around you. Y'all may not know this, but I can usually tell when you guys are making wrong choices. Just from the way you act, the way you talk. And it's not obvious. You don't come in here cursing. You know, I mean, y'all, know, you know y'all don't do that kind of stuff. Okay, but, but you guys think you're really good at hiding when you're making the wrong choices. But, but a lot of times it's pretty obvious when you're hanging with those bad influence and being influenced by them, when you're not in the Word, when you're not having your quiet time, when you're not praying in your spirit language that most of you have. Okay, well, I can tell because your actions change here even when you think they're not. And I'll tell you why I can tell. It's because 10, 12, 15 years ago, I was right where you guys were. okay. I've been there. I've lived a halfway life. All right, I know what it's like to be lukewarm, which some of you guys are. You're not all like that, but some of you are. And, and even if you're not, you know, we all go through phases sometimes. And, and I know what it's like to put on the church mask but not live it out. I know what it's like to lead worship in youth group and then go home and look at porn, just being honest. That was me in high school. I know what it's like to fake it. And so I don't want you guys to do that because it does affect you, the, those around you. Okay, how many of you ever stood next to a still pool and dropped a stone into it? Or you seen that? You know, you know what that looks like? Right, you get ripples, okay? You get ripples. And see, this little leaf down here in the corner of this picture didn't have anything to do with the decision. Didn't have anything to do with that stone being dropped in the water. But now this leaf is rocking in the waves, okay? It's affected by those decisions. You know, when you guys are in a bad place spiritually, just like when you're hungry, you guys get to be kind of a pain to be around sometimes. Right? You get attitudes, you start arguing with people, you start picking fights for no reason. Okay? And and the people around you can see that. Your parents, your friends, your teachers, your coworkers, your pastors, your coach, your classmates. We all got to deal with that jerk who's not been in the word and who isn't living the way they knows to be the, the way they know they're supposed to be living. We all have to deal with that that person. Okay? You say, "Well, you know, my repercussions, they're obvious with money, right?" If you're stupid with your money now, you're not going to be able to afford a car. Okay, guys, you maybe you won't be able to afford an engagement ring. At some point, you're going to want to buy a house. You want to buy, a, you know, you want to buy things with your future spouse. That kind of thing. So our our actions have obvious consequences when it comes to money. Right? It's really obvious at that point. But our other actions, our other choices, have big consequences too, and the people around us are affected every day by them. John 10.10 tells us Jesus came to give us life, what? To the full. Okay, came to give us life to the full. And yet half the time, half the time, we're not living that full life, and the people around us have to deal with this jerk who's not living the full life, but we were created for that full life, and so we're miserable because we made small choices. Fourth point, we have to take responsibility for our actions. Man, in today's culture, you guys are bombarded with uh, examples of people who don't know how to take responsibility for their actions. Okay? You look at celebrities. What do they want to do? They want to go out clubbing and get stupid and get, you know, embarrassing pictures of them taken, and then they don't want people to see the picture. It's like, well, you went out in public and you acted like a fool. So there's consequences. People are going to see that. You go into a public place. You act like an idiot. People can see it because it's public. That's why it's called that, right? Man, stinking politicians suck right now, so many of them. You know, they do something stupid. They're sending naked pictures to some hooker, and then they're like, I can't believe somebody found out about that, and they want to not take responsibility. They don't ever want to be punished for that crap. It's the world we live in, okay? Governors and mayors and all kind of, man, people jacked up doing this kind of stuff. Because we don't make, we don't want to take responsibility for our actions, right? Some of you guys have done this. You say, you know, well, I didn't choose to make that. It was a mistake, right? It was a mistake. Well, let me tell you something. When you, stay, when you make the same mistake repeatedly, it's no longer a mistake, okay? When an action becomes repeated, it's on purpose at that point. All right, here's one of my favorite ones. My alarm clock did not go off. How many of you guys have ever said this? All right, many of you, Okay. But here's the thing, here's the thing. When that starts happening three or four times, get a different alarm clock. Like go to Walmart, and spend five bucks on an old school alarm clock. If your phone alarm doesn't work, go get a regular alarm clock. I don't use my phone alarm. I use an old school alarm clock, it sits on the desk, makes annoying noises at me. OK? These are actions that you can change when the same mistake happens more than once, it's no longer a mistake. You know, a mistake is when you accidentally drop your Coke, because you're trying to carry too many things. Right? When you start repeatedly doing that because you're always trying to t- carry too many things, at some point you've got to quit trying to carry too many things. All right? At some point it becomes a choice. So just blaming something on a mistake only works the first time you make that mistake. If you keep doing it, it's no longer a mistake. We have to take responsibility for our choices. It's so easy to blame somebody else or to blame it on dumb luck or to blame it on whatever that we don't want to take responsibility. But this is, you know... This is what it is. And Jesus knows that this is a hard word. In fact, in John 6, um, the disciples complain that Jesus is teaching a hard word. That's the word that they use. And Jesus doesn't seem to care that much because he knows that they need it. And so I I might be saying something to you that's kind of hitting you wrong, and you're like, man, this kind of sucks. This pisses me off. And that may be the case. But you know what? You probably need to hear it, okay? In Hebrews 12, it says this, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Sometimes the Lord will discipline us and he will give us a hard word because he loves us and he wants us to be more like him, and and that's the goal. Okay, last, last Wednesday night, we we're at the cup walk, cupcake and some of y- or cake walk is the word I was looking for. And some of y'all were kind of around for this, but there was this tier, like this double-stack thing of cupcakes. It was like a little set of like eight and then another like six on top. It was this, this double-stack tray of cupcakes. And it was this little kid. He was about nine or ten probably, and we were doing the, cup, the cake walk, and he won. He won the cake walk. I was like, All right, dude, pick whatever you want from the table. There's a whole bunch of cakes and pies and stuff. And he reaches to that tier, and he picks up one cupcake. He picks up one cupcake. And I was like, hey, man, take the whole tray. And he went, like, that's the face he made at me. It was hysterical. This kid, I blew this kid's mind when I told him to take the whole tray. He's like, how am I going to carry it? I'm like, give it to your dad. Your dad's right there. I can see his dad. And you know, Give it to your dad, man. Put it in the car, whatever you got to do. And this kid was just blown away by the fact that I was telling him to take this whole cupcake. And I was telling this story Friday night. We were at the game. And at, the, at the at the Permian game and I was telling this story to a friend of mine she's a she's a youth leader in Midland and I told her this story because it was funny and and she goes don't we do that with God and immediately I was like dang that's good I'm kind of mad I didn't think of that but because we know that God has, given us this life more abundant like we talked about. We know that God is capable of of doing, like it says in Ephesians, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. That's what God wants for us. God wants us to live this incredible, fulfilling life. But so often we make these little choices that lead us down the wrong path. And they seem small. We make these wrong choices and they seem little at the time. They seem little at the time, but they stack up, and they stack up, and they stack up. And before you know it, we're in this really bad place in our lives, spiritually and mentally. Sometimes even physically, they, ha- they have repercussions. So tonight, the challenge is this. Make the right choices, even the little ones. Don't say, well, this isn't that big a deal. Always make the right choice. I have heard it said that character is how you act when nobody's watching. Right, It's easy for us to make the right choices when we're here. Okay, It's easy to make right choices in youth group or at camp or wherever it may be. But I dare you guys to make right choices when you're by yourself and when it seems like a little little thing. I dare you to make you walk with Jesus, the priority that you say it is when we're at camp. I dare you to make that a fact, to act on that when we're here. Because I know that there's some of you guys who you feel like you're in a spiritual desert, you're miserable, you haven't seen or heard from God in weeks, and you're just going through this thing, and you may be putting on the right face, you may be saying the right things, but you know what's happening in your life. You know what's going on. I dare you to make the choices that can change that. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this night. I thank you for these students, God, who I know love you. God, I know that they have a desire to walk with you, and I pray that you would give us, myself included, the strength to make the right choices. God, that your still small voice would, would be in our ear when we're about to do something that we know we shouldn't, God, and that, that we would not take the little choices for granted, that we would not take the little things as unimportant, Lord, but that every choice, every decision that we make throughout the day, the thousands of decisions we make every day, God, we would let you guide our decisions, that we would make the right choices when we have the, when we're presented with the opportunities to do so. God, that we can have that life more abundant that you said you wanted to give us, that the, the more than we could ask or imagine that you promised you can do, God, that we would see that in our lives, that we would see the fruits of that and the fruits of our good choices in our lives. God, I pray right now that you would bless each student. God, that as we go, we would come back next week more full of you and more in love with you. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.